loved catching the stick and bringing it back to him. Um, and he kept throwing it, and then they came to the side of a little lake, and uh, uh, the, um, the man decided he'd throw the stick into the lake, and the dog, equally enthusiastic as on the land, ran to the side of the lake, looked left and right, and then walked across the water and collected the stick and brought it back. man couldn't believe it. Happened a second time and a third time, and then somebody else came along and said, hey, come and see this, come and see this. He said, just watch this. Threw the stick dog goes to the side of the water, left, right, walks across. He said, did you see anything unusual there? He said, I certainly did. Your dog can't swim. (laughs) Sometimes life brings a surprise. I remember a surprise when I opened an envelope a few years ago, and there in it was an invitation for a weekend away in the West Country. And it was a gift by somebody who's a friend of ours, but with much less money than we've got. And I said, you know, what's this for? He said, well, I just felt like doing it, he said. And uh, you've done a lot for us. Well, I don't think we had done a lot for him, but he gave us something which was extravagant, unexpected, random, and generous. It was absurd, and it was hard to take, but it was a great gift to receive, and I still remember it to this day, and the evidence is I've just told you about it. There you are, in case you wondered. Now, has something like that ever happened to you? Somebody has given you something, and you think, goodness gracious, why did they do that? Or, have you ever done it to somebody else? They won't be expecting this. It's a wonderful experience, a complete surprise. And we're going to look at uncalled-for generosity today. We're going to have our reading from Graham in a moment. But just in case you wonder, did you know that there was a day, February the 17th, which is National Random Act of Kindness Day? So if something happened to you on the 17th of February that was nice, then that's why somebody was being randomly generous to you. If you received it the day before, there's a sting in the tail because National It's Do a Grouch a Favour Day. (laughs) So remember the day when it happens to you and be aware. But let's have our reading now as we hear of some other acts of absurd extravagance that Jesus experienced. It's taken from Mark chapter 14, And it's verses 1 to 11. Help yourself to a Bible if you'd like it, or read it on the screen uh, alternatively. Okay, Graham, thank you. It's just a very slightly different version from the Bible, but it can be followed easily. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him but not join the festival. They said, all the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. 
Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So they watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Graham. So Jesus is now in the last week of his life. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a very warped biography of Jesus in the Gospels. You've got 16 chapters in Mark, and six of them all relate to the last seven days of his life showing how significant that arrival in Jerusalem was that leads up to Easter. And he's here at Bethany, two miles outside Jerusalem. And that's where he stayed with Mary, Martha and Lazarus, people who were familiar to him. We don't know how they were familiar because Jesus spent the first uh, years of his ministry up in Galilee. They lived in Jerusalem. But it's, it's more than possible that these people from Jerusalem had heard about Jesus came up to Galilee, followed him, and then when he came back to Jerusalem, they said, stay at our place if you're going to be uh, in the capital city. And Jesus uh, is uh, uh, in the house of Simon the leper. We don't know very much about him. Maybe he was somebody who became a Christian and the gospel writers wanted to mention who he was later on when they came to write the gospel. But did you see in the reading that sort of background of increasing hostility, the storm clouds arising, both from outside, the Jewish leaders wanting to find an opportunity uh, to take Jesus out before the Passover became a major event, and then from inside, Judas wanting to do away with Jesus because he no longer had confidence in him. And it's in that background that we have this story. Jesus was reclining at table. This is a colour photograph taken um, uh, um, uh, some 2,000 years ago. Um, If you believe that, then you really are a gullible Christian. Um, But but, uh, uh, it shows how uh, the Romans and um, the Roman Empire was the uh, uh, prevailing um, uh, uh, force at the time, how they used to eat. Most uncomfortable. You You had to lean on your left arm and eat with your right arm. You couldn't see who was behind you. You could only see the back of the person in front of you. Why they didn't invent tables, I've no idea. But Jesus was reclining at the table. This is important in terms of getting an understanding of what happened after that. And it was customary in those days for the feet to be washed and on special occasions for guests to be dabbed with a drop of two of something fragrant. Um, And here we have this situation where a woman comes along, she's unnamed, Uh, One of the other Gospels suggests it might be Mary, but uh, that doesn't matter for our story. And she 
has a flask made of alabaster. It's interesting that the gospel writer says what it was contained in, because it wasn't a, wasn't a, a common or garden pot. Alabaster is today quite an expensive uh, stone, and it was quite an expensive stone in those days. So significant. And inside was pure nard. Now, pure nard is made from a plant which still today, as in those days, only grows in the Himalayas and northern India. So you can see that it's not going to be one of your common or garden items that you can pick up in Wilco's. It was expensive. And the uh, story is, with some comic aspects, there is Jesus... And there is this woman, and she breaks the alabaster jar. We don't know why she broke it. It can't have been completely sealed, but she broke it, drew attention to herself, no doubt, and the whole contents are then emptied onto Jesus' head. I mean, it would be very hard to show a picture of that without you know, thinking, goodness gracious, what's going on there? And indeed, some of the guests... The other Gospels suggest it was the disciples themselves said, what a waste, what a waste. She should have done something different with it. The original text says it's 300 denarii, 300 pieces of silver. A denarius was what a labourer got for a day's work. So if you want to work it out in today's value, if somebody's on the minimum wage, which has now gone up since yesterday to £7.50, a year's worth of wages would be worth £15,600. What a waste. Didn't add the cost of the alabaster jar as well. And it's not surprising, and I suspect I'd have been among them, to say you could do something better with that. They rebuke her, but Jesus rebukes them. Leave her alone, he says. She has done a beautiful thing. That's a lovely word. I'm not sure it's used anywhere else in the New Testament to describe an act. She's done a beautiful thing. Now, earlier in our series, we've been looking through Mark's Gospel. Earlier in our series, we came across another woman who had given something and Jesus commented on it. It was in the temple and this woman gave two copper coins very small items, a complete contrast to this act of extravagance. But from these two, we can learn how Jesus views our giving. And he doesn't look at what we give, he looks at the way we give. Not what is in our hands, but what's in our heart. And the question I've got to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself on this gift day, is what's in your heart when you give? There's quite a lot we can learn from the New Testament about what it is to be a good giver in God's eyes. The first is that we need to give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Fantastic word, cheerful. Do you know what the word cheerful in Greek is? Hilarion from which we get the word hilarious giver. God loves a hilarious giver. It reminds me when I was working with Bible Society, I was out in Cameroon. And Cameroon has a different approach to the giving at the end of the service. And you have a bowl there in the middle of the church and people come and give their offerings and everybody else is applauding 
and alive with, with thanksgiving. Quite different from quietly uh, asking your bank to transfer a little bit of money um, every week or every month. It's not to do with how good I am. It's to do with how released I am. Because money is a burden to us. If we keep it, and it's not meant for us. It's a blessing if we're using the money that we are given for ourselves, but it's a a burden uh, if we're keeping it back when it should be given to others. So cheerfully. Secondly, generously. The two women, the widow and the anointer, gave the amounts, very different amounts, but they gave it because they were being generous. Both gifts cost them something. So as we're coming to gift day and you think, I can only give five pounds. If you can only give five pounds, God is as happy with that as if you can give 500 pounds or 5,000 pounds. Because if you think that this is a sacrifice, you're wrong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this, God is able to bless you abundantly. He said this after having talked about giving money away. He said that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Last month I got a check from somebody uh, to be passed on to somebody else. It was from somebody I know who has been very careful with money all their life. Very committed Christian. But uh, she has been uh, needing to make sure that she's got the money sorted out right. And it was a very generous check. And I commented on that. And she said, I'm learning this Lent on the joy of generosity, of not being cautious about things because I know God will look after me. So generously as well. Then there's gratefully. As with the women, we Christians are to give not because there is a need, but because we have a need to give. Now what we've seen with children of the dump is a very great cause, but we need to give not because they need the money, but we need to give. And even if it was a less worthy cause, we still need to give because that's what God has created us for. It's a response to having been treated so generously by God. And it's expressed in communion today. We're coming to God in thankfulness for what he's done for us. Let's remember that. And then spontaneously, the woman in the story was not constrained. She didn't worry about what convention said. She did it because it was just in her heart and she couldn't keep it there. It's not the whole story, of course. We're not just asked to you know, give spontaneously elsewhere. Paul talks about putting aside money each week for what you believe is the right thing to give. Nice head knowledge, sound business practice, but just occasionally... It's good to do something a bit random. You've got the chance today to do just that. When I was at university, we had somebody, um, a fellow student, uh, who was famous for his old rattling car, and it went all over the place and was always breaking down. He told me the story of how he went to a Pentecostal meeting where they'd been talking about giving everything to God. And he emptied his pockets of everything that there was. And he went out afterwards to drive the car home, discovered he put the car keys in the collection. (laughs) He said the car went like a dream for weeks and months afterwards. So give spontaneously as well as um, intelligently. What holds us back from giving like this? Why isn't it all that simple? Well, there's lots of reasons. There's fear. The story of the fall in Genesis tells us that we have 
to look after ourselves or nobody else will do that. So we're fearful of the future and we need to provide for ourselves because nobody out there is going to do it for us. There's selfishness. Look after number one and the ones close to me and then if there's money left over after that, then I'll give some away and feel good about doing that. And there's cynicism, fear of being duped, a belief that money given to others will be wasted or siphoned off in corruption. We can use any excuse we want. That stops us from being generous. Now I wonder, does this call to be generous of heart have a special resonance for us in Camberley today? There's probably a wide range of incomes here and not everybody's going to be on the higher tax bracket. Some may not be paying tax at all. But if we're in any way representative of our locality, then we're doing pretty well by comparison with the rest of the country and certainly by comparison with the rest of the world. And I have to ask myself, am I immune from the culture of what Camberley stands for? And the country stands for. Am I immune from wanting newer, bigger, smarter things? I can always find somebody more excessive than me, but I may well be upping the need, by my definition, in order uh, to satisfy myself. Am I always content to live with something that's first generation and ten years old, when they're now marketing the fourth generation, doing things I don't want to do and didn't know could be done, but feel I need to have just in case I ever want to. (laughs) Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be pressed into the world's mould, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now maybe instead of making people around us the standard by which we measure our generosity, I give a good deal more than the people I meet in the street, maybe we should be contrasting ourselves with the people of the Bible, the people of faith, with the woman with just the copper coins to give, or the woman who had the expensive perfume to give. Jesus was anointed at Bethany and it went into the history books. Would anyone even write a small comment on the anointing that you and I give to Jesus uh, when it comes to our wealth? What does our giving say about our love for God and our trust in him? Take a look at this verse from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, not the people around us, the people of faith in the past... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Everything that hinders. We may think of sin as things that hinder. Have you ever thought that the money in your bank balance may hinder your walk with God? And maybe it should be invested in the kingdom of God and not in your own future. It's like a weight that needs to be taken off. And we have the opportunity to take the weight off your shoulders today in the gift day. It's our gift day. It's a chance to throw off some of what we own, which hinders us in the race marked out for us. So do something spontaneous. Break an alabaster jar. Throw away the perfume, because you know 
that God loves you and will never leave you short. We're going to move now into a time of prayer and uh, that will give us the opportunity to respond in our hearts